if a religious performance mindset sinks in, mm-hmm. guess what? All this becomes distressing. Mm-hmm. It becomes something to live up to or to look down on others for not measuring up to. Mm-hmm. It matters a whole bunch that God's the one who invited us to this. Mm-hmm. And he's like, here's a buffet of worship practices to enjoy, to benefit from its grace. You're not performing for him or for anyone else. Mm -hmm. You are receiving something Mm -hmm. from him. Welcome to Faith Refresh, where we take another look at the Bible passages, beliefs, and other church stuff you've probably heard a million times and find something fresh. Hello and welcome back to Faith Refresh. This is episode three. My name is Anson here along with Chaplain Justin. Welcome back. Yeah, howdy. It's good to be back. This episode, we're talking about worship postures. You might have read in our show description or heard in the introduction that we want to approach a few different topics over Mm -hmm. the course of this show. We want to talk about Bible stories that Mm -hmm. we've grown up with, other Bible passages or verses, maybe certain beliefs that Mm -hmm. we have, Mm -hmm. but also just church practices that we have as well or that we've experienced. So this week, worship postures, we want to talk about the physical expressions of worship Mm -hmm. that you see within Christian traditions. And that could be kind of a broad topic or maybe even one that's a little bit hard to define. So I want to narrow that in for us just a little bit, because I think especially if you've grown up largely in a singular tradition, say you grew up in a particular denomination or in a particular non-denominational environment, this could be something that you might have thought about a lot, depending on your tradition, Mm -hmm. or it could be something that you really haven't thought about much at all, even if you engage in physical worship postures Mm -hmm. in your tradition. I think a lot of times we don't always recognize the water that we swim in. Mm -hmm. And so if there's a singular tradition that you're very used to, my church does things this way, these things might not have stood out so much. However, if you've had the experience of stepping outside of your tradition into another one, or maybe if you even grew up outside of the church and came to the church later in life, you almost certainly (laughs) notice these things a lot. So to start off with, I'm just kind of curious for your personal experience, Justin, and I'll share mine as well. What tradition did you grow up in Mm -hmm. and what physical expressions of worship were you exposed to in your childhood? What felt normal to you? And were there any situations or experiences you had where you're like, oh, that is very different from what I would say my normal is? Yeah, as far as my roots, it would be a non-denominational or independent evangelical church. Yeah. I had some kind of leaders at different times that would describe themselves as recovering Baptists. Okay. A lot of what they meant is they're going to be a little bit more expressive. Got it. <laughs> you know? Yeah. They might close their eyes during a song, you know? Mm. It's just interesting to hear that. Closing their up. eyes during, during yeah, a song, well, by the way, like really getting out yeah, there. Yeah, right. <laughs> And, um, but I've had experiences with lots of different traditions at different times, both more locally or nationally, even internationally, that has made me appreciate a lot of different expressions of worship that that Christians do all over the place. Yeah. Yeah. I grew up in a similar environment, I imagine, a non-denominational church. There were definitely some physical expressions of worship there, some raised hands and closed eyes and Mm -hmm. and those types of things. I remember going to a friend's church in high school that was very charismatic. Mm -hmm. That was my first experience with that. And they had the dancers on stage with like the streamers and the banners and that like dancing in the aisles during songs. That was a very eye-opening experience for me. Totally different, right? 
lot different than what I'm used to. And then in my adult life, I've been involved in a few different traditions, including the Presbyterian tradition, Mm -hmm. where they think twice about like clapping when the choir finishes singing a song yeah. because they don't want to make people think that they're clapping for the choir exactly. because it's not about the performance. Yeah. Right. And so they're very much on the opposite end. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I had that experience in a few different environments and that I think is really what has made some of this stand out to me is going, Oh wow. There really are a number of different ways mm-hmm. to do things. Some of them very different from one another. The other thing that this conversation makes me think of, Justin, is uh, John Acuff, you may remember, somewhat famously, at least within Christian circles, liked to lampoon the different physical postures that we would take yeah. during worship, particularly for like modern evangelical, like contemporary yes, yeah. church, uh, like Easy hand target. raising <laughs> styles. Yeah. Like he has these uh, names for different styles. So he has the ninja which is the person who is a little Mm self-conscious perhaps about raising the hand. So they keep it down around the waist, the hips, uh, but just kind of sneakily raises the palms towards the heavens. But if you're standing behind him, you wouldn't even notice. Yeah. Which is important. Yeah. All the way to um, what he calls, I love this one, the helicopter rail. (laughs) So this person has both hands up above their head, fully extended out in front of them just a little bit like, um, like it's a James Bond movie and you're like grabbing onto the helicopter rail being like rescued from the sea or something just for dear life. Those people who just really get it up and out there. So I'm curious too, if if you're willing to share just personally, obviously even within a tradition, you have people who are more willing to be expressive. Maybe that comes more naturally to them Mm -hmm. or they feel compelled to do it for whatever reason. Totally. And then those who don't, did you ever have like a, a leaning one way or the other? Is there like a natural thing that you gravitate mm-hmm. towards? Are you are you the ninja or are you the uh, the helicopter rail guy? Yeah, I would I would say like now I have some maybe understanding, deeper understanding than I used to about what postures might mean different things, mm. and so maybe it's part of my expression, right? You know, and we could talk about that later. But I think a, a lot of it was an experiential learning curve. Yeah. And I, I think, I'm pretty sure the first time I raised my hands was at a Promise Keepers rally. I grew up in Southern California, and so this was at the Coliseum. It was huge. Yeah, yeah. And so you have all these men singing these hymns. Mm-hmm. Powerful There's, experience. Oh, absolutely. It felt big. And I would see some other men that were raising their hands, and there's a song, Knowing You. Do you remember that old oh, song? Oh, yes, Yeah. Still to this day, it's moving to me. But that was the first time I remember raising my hands, and it was like a very freeing experience. I didn't necessarily take it home as much, but over time, that became like, yeah, there are different postures, you know, whatever John Acuff wants to call them, but they're helpful in different ways, at least to me, they have been. Acuff also, I remember, did a a post about what he calls lazy hand shame, (laughs) because he said he was one of those people who was not super expressive, right? And so he said he would find himself sitting in what he called like a flock of hand raisers or (laughs) aggressive clappers during a song. And he would say he'd look at his own hands and think like, why do you hate Jesus so much? (laughs) Because he just did not feel compelled to do these things, right? But joking aside, I do think there probably is an element of truth to what John is talking about there. Yes. That it is possible to feel self-consciousness, mm-hmm. maybe even embarrassment, mm-hmm. maybe even shame over uh, some of this physical posture mm-hmm. stuff in worship, especially if your own natural inclinations are at odds with mm-hmm. the environment that you find yourself yeah. in, right? I would be surprised if not every person listening right now has had some form yeah. of discomfort, even distress when yeah. it comes to that. 
what I'm accustomed to is different than whatever the status quo here is. And I might feel even in, whether it's an internal, maybe even external pressure to kind of fit the mold. One of the hardest questions that's under the surface is, I don't fit. I don't belong here. Mm, when it's like at Christ, right. as Christians, yes. if we're Christians and you're a Christian, like you belong. Mm. But man, that's easier said than done sometimes. This could be a stumbling block. Totally. So up to this point, we've talked a lot about contemporary worship, mm-hmm, yeah. the evangelical church, hand raising is a, is a big deal. Honestly, probably just because it's even a big deal just in modern music. I mean, you go to a concert, a lot of people have their hands yeah, up in the yeah. air. People are dancing. That's our kind of natural reactions mm-hmm. to music. But I think we should note that Worship postures aren't limited just to hand raising or dancing to a Chris Tomlin song, yeah. right? There's actually a lot of worship postures that are incorporated into more traditional liturgical traditions mm-hmm. as well. So you look at, say, a Catholic mass. Yes. There's yep. a lot of physical activity going on mm-hmm. there, right? You know, you're standing, you're sitting, you're kneeling, mm-hmm. maybe hands are upraised at certain points, yes, maybe yep. hands clasped Cla- in prayer, yes. uh-huh. maybe palms up and open for a, receiving a benediction, yes. all the way to walking to take communion or, or all sorts mm-hmm. of different postures. And in fact, not only are different worship postures incorporated into traditional liturgical services as we might think of them today, yeah. but they're also were very much incorporated into ancient expressions yes, of worship yeah. as well, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, absolutely. In a lot of ways, like historically, this might be getting into the weeds, but you could trace back the dawn of Western civilization to the birth of Christianity, mm. but it really is an Eastern religion. And what you find in Eastern religions is it is a very physical kind of manifestation of spiritual practice. Yeah. And sometimes we can maybe get out of touch with our roots in, in some of those things and lose some of the richness that that might be there, not only within Christianity, but of course, you know, other worldviews and world religions, you can find very physical expressions of worship or meditation practices or mm. at certain times of the day that look look a certain way and, and are enacted in, in certain ways. So what of that do we see in the Bible, specifically mm, yeah. with the Christian tradition, mm-hmm. we go back, let's start maybe in the Old Testament, Jewish traditions. Like, what do we see in the Old Testament specifically with regard to physical expressions in worship? Well, you see, I mean, all kinds of things. <laughs> I kind of dug into this a little bit, and I don't think I, I did an exhaustive study, but I gave it a solid, streamlined go at it. Yeah. You have this expression of offering something on an altar. Mm. It's hard to like think of something that's more physical right, yeah. than that, calling upon the name of the Lord. Mm. So there's different nonverbal you know, aspects of calling upon versus mm-hmm. praying versus singing versus, you know, there are all these different postures of praising God or praying to Him or worshiping in one way or another, bowing down all the way to the earth. Maybe even similar to what we would see a Muslim person in their five times a day prayer, mm. bowing to the earth. Prostrating yourself. Yes. Yeah. And so prostrating is a very dramatic yes, physical posture. And very reorienting. And we could talk about, you know, different things that, that could be beneficial about that later, but even from a scientific perspective, but... Bowing down to the earth would be one thing, kind of your knees underneath you. Mm-hmm. Prostrating is you're just laid out on the ground. Right, yeah. And like, <laughs> and like face in the face, dirt. Like, yeah. yeah, and it's just like, wow, you know, where have I seen that in my 
modern church right. tradition. Not you know, a like, lot. And so would it be weird? Is that okay or not okay? And I would also kind of back off from that. It's just like, what is good about it? What benefit could there be in this posture of worship that I might need, maybe not all the time, but sometimes? So that would be a smattering of things. Dancing is in there. Playing musical instruments is is there. Um, lying on your bed, pondering in your heart silently. So yeah. there's just all kinds of different worship postures that are wide open and, and expressed in Scripture, both you know, Old and New Testament. Yeah. So obviously in the Old Testament, there's a lot of very prescriptive edicts from God Mm -hmm. about this is the way Mm -hmm. worship is going to work for you, right? You think about the tabernacle and the temple, you know, these are the things that are going to be in there. This is how you're going to do the sacrifices. This is when you're going to do them. A lot of that is very specifically laid Mm -hmm. out. You move to the New Testament Mm -hmm. And, you know, obviously we have the Gospels, we have a description of Jesus's time on earth in ministry. Then there's the book of Acts, and certainly Paul's letters start to get into the state of the early church. But how much is there either within Acts or Mm -hmm. that we can glean from Paul or the early apostles, or maybe even extra biblically, Mm, you know, other sources of information about what the early church was like. Do we know much about the early church's stance and approach that they took to physical Mm. postures in worship? Biblically, there is something that Jesus makes clear. One of the most important worship passages in the Bible, at least like theologically, is in John 4, Jesus and the woman at the well. She's going back and forth with Jesus. You're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan. We say worship here, you say worship there. Right. And Jesus says, the time is coming, it's now here that true worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth. Yes. And even like the temple, now Christians are the temple. Right. And so there is, there's been a movement into the person where we are walking around, we are worship leaders, we are the worshiping place, we are, you know. Yeah. So there has been a shift there because so much of, of that prescribed worship has been ultimately fulfilled in Christ mm-hmm. and his atoning work. Now we see, okay, um, worship in spirit and in truth, that's the main thing. And then in the rest of the New Testament, you have things like, whenever you're together, give thanks, Mm. sing, making melody in your hearts, Yes, um, encourage one another, serve one another in different ways. But it doesn't always say how, so you don't get as many worship postures prescribed. You have more of the heart and the activity. And honestly, for a lot of theologians, I would say most theologians would say the the forms of worship in the New Testament are very open for exploration. And that could come with strengths and weaknesses, as we've talked about. Yeah, so you get these maybe more like broad categories of things we should do. Worship should be involved, gratitude, maybe confession, teaching, teaching, these types of things. But what you don't necessarily get is... You lay out the sanctuary this way, right. you know, these things are at the front, these things yeah. are at the back, this is the order of the mm-hmm. service. There's there's not a bulletin <laughs> provided yeah. uh, in right. <laughs> the New Testament that says, like, here's the order, order of events, of worship. Yeah. this is how you do it. Yeah. And so, it's largely maybe been more up to us to define that, mm-hmm. and that, I guess, is maybe where all of these different interpretations of that come from, mm-hmm. right? I mean, we have it these... could be a really beautiful, diverse expression mm-hmm. of Christians But as we know, those kinds of things, unfortunately, can become harder lines that are drawn in the sand, even like teaching. Yeah. You know, that is an act of worship, delivering, listening to, applying a message, a a sermon. 
or homily, depending on what <laughs> tradition. Yeah. In some traditions, that's 10, 15 minutes right. of what's going on. Others, it's 45 minutes an hour. Right. You know, if either one of those start to dig in their heels, that's not really teaching unless it looks like this, that, mm. or the other thing. It's mm. like, we don't have any New Testament grounds for any of that. Yeah. So why do you think so many traditions <laughs> and denominations are so dug in yeah. when it comes to those things, mm-hmm. right? I mean, because a lot of the traditions that we have in today's church are not only different when it comes to those different expressions of worship, they're really marked by them, yes, right? I mean, defining of, features, right? Yeah. Like the whole point of this denomination over <laughs> here is that we do this thing this way. Mm-hmm. Honestly, a lot of that could be, you know, I guess interpreted as unfortunate probably not the best. (laughs) Yeah. And at the same time, God could still use it to make space for all kinds of different people. Some that are maybe, for example, more introverted, quiet, and feel comfortable worshiping in this environment. Yeah. More extroverted, moving people have short attention spans, (laughs) find themselves over here. Yeah. What starts out a lot of times in these traditions as the pendulum swinging. Mm. So they a lot of times become reactionary one to another. And so say the Catholic traditions and mass looks this way, and then you have the Protestant Reformation, it's going to look this way. Yeah, we're doing a U-turn. Exactly. Going the opposite direction. And both sides could kind of be um, combative toward one another, Yeah, even condemning Mm -hmm. in different ways. And so, okay, out of that, you have the Wesleyan movement. Mm -hmm. And okay, there are some worship postures and practices that come with that. So the pendulum swings back and forth, and a lot of these movements could be developments, but they can also turn into trenches that we dig out to to fight one another, unfortunately. And individuals who are in these spaces feeling distressed and Mm -hmm. embarrassed are caught in the crossfire, which I find something that's critically important to emphasize. What does love look like in this? You know, I think at a point in my life, I probably would have looked at certain traditions that I've been involved in. I've had the the benefit, I would say, of experiencing multiple traditions because yeah, my I'm really um, grateful for that. Yeah, my my wife works in a church and has since we've been married and we've at times gone to where there was a job. And so we've <laughs> yeah. gotten to be a part of churches that we may not otherwise have been a part mm-hmm. of. So we've experienced a a little bit more diversity, perhaps, of tradition than some. I think there might have been a point, especially 10 or 15 years ago for me, where I would have been embedded in a tradition or a church and said, we need to land in the middle of all of these things, or we need to dabble in all of these different ways of Mm -hmm. doing things. Like We need to do some of the more traditional. We need to do some of the more contemporary. We need to not get stuck in one of these ruts because we don't want to become so entrenched Mm -hmm. in a specific way of doing things that we start to value it more than someone else's way of doing things. Mm -hmm. And I think there was a very good like intention and heart behind that because as we just discussed, there are a lot of traditions or perhaps people or places where those things do become really entrenched and Mm -hmm. they become sacred cows to us. Mm -hmm. But I think over time, maybe I've also realized that the second part of your answer there also is important that it's okay 
for certain places or traditions or groups of people to emphasize mm-hmm. certain postures or certain mm-hmm. practices over others, maybe because that fits a certain group of people or a certain period of time or right. a cultural moment or whatever the case mm-hmm. may be, those uniquenesses mm-hmm. can be appreciated for what they are, as opposed to saying, no, we need to eliminate all of those things and become uniform. Mm-hmm. Diversity is something that we can and should appreciate. Right. Yeah, I think it's very common. You probably heard it a, a lot of just people, maybe they're really devout Christians, or maybe they're deconstructing in some different ways. Look at all the denominations within Christianity and say, aren't we supposed to be unified? Look right. how divided we are. Yeah. This is just a testament to our brokenness. Exactly. Yeah. And so there's some truth in that. Sure. But another way to see it is just like you, you were mentioning, look how much space has been made for different kinds of people. Mm. Now, I'm not saying that's always the heart, of, yeah. but that's the potential. <laughs> yes, right. <laughs> of seek to bless, to honor in different ways. Here's the good things I see, and I'm really grateful they're there. I might disagree here, there, this point or that other point, but really I'm grateful that we're together in this. And yeah. you're doing it that way, and we're doing it that You know, like yeah. there's diversity that... God's really putting to good use. Absolutely. Okay, so we've talked about this largely from the perspective of traditions, groups of people. Let's maybe get a little bit more specific and maybe a little bit more individualistic for a moment. What are some of the benefits of some of these very specific Mm -hmm. postures? And when, in your opinion, do they make sense to Mm -hmm. uh, be applied uh, when it comes to worship? Beyond like the tabernacle and temple systems of worship, these things that I described in terms of bowing to the earth or bowing your head, for instance, none of them are prescribed. They're described. The story is just told or the psalm is just written where Mm -hmm. it's described, you know. But the context of those passages can be really helpful. So, be angry and do not sin. Lie in your bed and ponder in your heart. That's from Psalm 4.4. You find it in Ephesians 4 as well, I believe. And so, okay, I'm feeling angry and I'm having a hard time responding to it. I'm tempted to react to it. I've got a worship choice, which is I'm going to lie down and I'm going to ponder this in my heart, mm. prayerfully, worshipfully. Mm-hmm. On the heels of that in, in Psalm 4.5, offer proper offerings and sacrifices. Yeah. Here's your next good worshiping choice. And so that would be a really specific, and that's something that I use. Anger is a volatile emotion that can be healthy. It can also go sideways. (laughs) So we need interventions, to use the counseling term, Mm. in order to engage with that in a healthy way. And lo and behold, King David, way back in the day, Psalm 4, is saying, be angry. It's okay. Mm -hmm. Don't sin. Lie down if you have to. Ponder in your heart and find a worshipful way to, to walk through this, you know? Yeah. I don't know about you, but I think oftentimes I find physical postures in worship are really helpful in my body leading my mind. somewhere Mm -hmm. when my mind hasn't quite gotten to where I I wish it was or Mm -hmm. where I want to be. Maybe I'm really distracted and I'm having a hard time focusing in prayer when I actually like get down on my knees Mm -hmm. in the middle of a worship service for prayer, that physical act does something I think in terms of focusing my Mm -hmm. mind on the practice I'm currently participating in Mm -hmm. or at my church, you know, we have a a tradition at the end of the service where the pastor speaks a benediction over the congregation Mm -hmm. and it's encouraged, not required that you stand and that you put your arms out, palms Mm -hmm. upraised as a kind of a physical expression of receiving that blessing. Mm -hmm. There's something about 
participating in those physical acts that I think helps my mind to focus on the matter at hand. Mm -hmm. And I've even seen that with my children. We've encouraged them to participate in these physical acts. And when they're having to pay attention in church because, hey, we're standing now, we're sitting now, we're holding our (laughs) arms out now to receive the benediction or the forgiveness of Christ, or Mm -hmm. we're kneeling because we're about to pray the Lord's Prayer, Mm -hmm. it helps them to remain focused on the task at hand, as as it were, the task of worship. Whereas when there's not a lot of physical response happening for an extended period of time, usually during the sermon, (laughs) (laughs) they're starting to wander a little bit, right? right? And so it it certainly helps children, Mm -hmm. but I think it helps me as an adult too. I don't know if you've experienced that. I I think I'd love to talk about this at some point, but there's actually solid neurological scientific research that can explain or at least approximate an explanation about why that's the case. We're living in a very interesting age where some of these ancient worship practices are now integrating with modern science rather than opposing it. Mm -hmm. It just fits hand in glove, Mm -hmm. which is really interesting. But yeah, our bodies help our minds. Our minds help our bodies. Like It goes back and forth. Worship is verbal and nonverbal. It's spiritual and it's physical. It's soul and body. Those two things are inextricably linked together, and we can actually use that intentionally. So, hands up, like you mentioned, for me, that's kind of like a relaxed, but also surrendered. Mm -hmm. And so, if there's a hymn, if there's a song, or just a response to a message, I might just open my hands to receive and to let go. I love to raise my hands, essentially to affirm a message in a hymn or a song, where I'm already saying yes with everyone else by singing, but it's almost like, in terms of my story, I want to say an extra affirmation and yes to that lyric, to that, you know. And we have freedom to explore those different things, and I think it'd be wise not to just be out there by ourselves, but also honor the tradition that we're hanging out with at the time, Mm. you know? (laughs) So we can get on our high horse in the other way. Now now that I know all these things are okay, I'm just going to like kind of be disruptive and that's probably not the best either. Sure. All right. Well, before we wrap up, I I do want to touch on something that we touched on a little bit earlier in our conversation, and that is the potential pitfalls that exist around this conversation. You mentioned that probably a lot of us, maybe most of us, have experienced some degree of discomfort or maybe even some anxiety over physical worship posture. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you'd agree with this, but I feel like for me, a lot of that comes from the public nature of a lot of these mm-hmm. expressions. Mm-hmm. Most of this conversation has been about in a church context, right? right? Where there's a lot of other people around. Maybe there's a lot of other people doing or engaging in a certain physical posture, and we feel some form of peer pressure either to participate or to not participate. One thing that I think is kind of interesting is that we do see, not necessarily directly connected to like church practice, but we do see warnings in scripture about public posturing. Yes, yeah. You know, Jesus gives warnings about the teachers of the law praying for everyone to see on mm-hmm. the on the street corner. We see examples of Daniel praying in his closet yes, uh, yeah. in the Old Testament. And so I'm curious because this may be a part of this that that we would potentially gloss over mm-hmm. about what it would look like to practice worship postures privately. Yes. And and just your thoughts on whether or not that might be a good place even to kind of work some mm-hmm. of this out for ourselves. Where could we start with incorporating worship postures in our private worship? And could that help inform some of this in our our public worship as Mm -hmm. well, or our corporate or communal worship? It's interesting the form that our conversation has taken, just like in terms of corporate worship, 
because my main thought about the importance of worship postures is in private expression. Yeah. Mm. Like, I think that there's just so much good that can be harnessed through having a good understanding of worship, what it's really about, the heart of worship, and how these different postures might help us. And I'll just give one example. There's one posture that I didn't really know about, like experientially, which is prostrating yourself, lying down, Mm -hmm. face in the dirt, like you said earlier. It wasn't until I was confronting very deep grief over very difficult experiences that I had buried down somewhere where I found myself crying out very literally, grieving, and I was, it just so happens, face down on the ground. Mm. And that was worship. It was messy. It wasn't pretty. But at the same time, through that process, there is a really healthy amount of grief that took place and even some measure of surrender and forgiveness in that situation that I I wouldn't have known about without maybe experiencing it. Mm. But then I go back to scripture and the different parts where it talks about prostrating yourself before the Lord is in the context of lament and Mm. mourning and grief. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, no way. (laughs) Mm. And then I learn, okay, the spiritual worship practice and even research on grief and lament and creative expression of that, the healing of even trauma through different worship postures and Mm. practices, even from a secular perspective, begin to realize, wow, there's something really profound here that I don't want to overlook. And then I ask the question, well, what else is out there? Mm. What else do I want to explore, especially in my private worship relationship with God? Yeah, because I I think, like I said, there's a lot of potential anxiety around Am I doing it right? Mm-hmm. Am I doing what other people are doing? Now, certainly some of that could apply to our private experience too. We can, we can question whether we're doing things the right, right way. Yeah. But I do think potentially removing some of those like barriers of peer pressure and tradition and expectations of others mm. out of the equation, at least in my experience, has definitely helped me to be more open to those physical expressions than in a corporate worship environment. If I'm used to this practice of, raising my hands or holding them out extended or kneeling during prayer, all of a sudden in corporate worship, all of those intrusive thoughts about acceptance and what other people are doing Mm -hmm. and all of that, not that they magically go away, Mm -hmm. but they feel just a little more distant to me because I practiced, I've practiced these postures and it's something that I I don't know that I ever would have really thought about. And I didn't necessarily go into it with that in mind of like, I need to practice kneeling or practice these things. But I think the experience of doing that has very much helped Mm -hmm. me in being able to feel more comfortable with expressing them in the course of corporate worship as well. You mentioned practice. Another word I would put to that is just explore it. Mm. What could this be like? Just make it a an experiment of sorts. Removes a lot of pressure. Yeah. The theology really matters because we could see how a lot of these worship postures, both in the Christian traditions and uh, world religions, where if a religious performance mindset sinks in, mm-hmm. guess what? All this becomes distressing. Mm. It becomes something to live up to or to look down on others for not measuring up to. Mm. It matters a whole bunch that God's the one who invited us to this. Mm. And he's like, here's a buffet of worship practices Mm. to enjoy, to benefit from its grace upon grace. These things are really, in a lot of traditions, called means of grace. Yeah. They're conduits of the grace and generosity and strength of God. And so bow your head if you want to, 
lift your hands if you want to, like whatever is appropriate for that moment and what you're experiencing with God and know you're not performing for him or for anyone else. Mm. You are receiving something from mm. him through this posture and some of these things that he's hinted at yeah. throughout scripture that we can enjoy and, and really benefit from in, in a number of ways. Thanks for listening to Faith Refresh. You can find more Real FM pods and tons of other cool stuff on the Real FM app and at real.fm. Faith Refresh is hosted by Justin Rusinowski and I'm Anson Beyer. If you enjoyed the show, please consider writing a review on your platform of choice. It will help others to discover the podcast and listen for themselves. Faith Refresh is a part of the Real FM Podcast Network, a ministry of John Brown University.